I remember as a little boy, we were playing in this, uh, right by this giant irrigation ditch, which when you say things like that, it's weird. But out west in Colorado, there was large irrigation canals and ditches that went around. And for, I mean, when you're a little boy, that's just, that's just your own private pool. We had so much fun. But one time I went to make a jump across the, the ditch. I ran harnessing all of my athletic ability, which took less time than you would think. I made the jump, but I didn't make the distance. And I hit the other side of the bank and slid back into the ditch. Um, but but I caught my arm on a naily board, which you're like, what? Kind of weird. I know, even saying it, I'm like, oh man, that that was not safe. But I caught my arm on a naily board and it, it didn't cut me when I was little. I thought, oh my gosh, my arm's going to fall off. But it was just a little scratch, went up my forearm, and I like jumped up. I'm like, ah, and I bolted for home. I ran home as quick as I could. I ran in the house, and I'm looking kind of feverishly for my mom. I see her, and I'm like, because I knew if she saw it, she would make it better. And she took care of me, right? She, she took me in, but I was like, wounded. Oh my gosh. And I crumbled into a puddle when I saw her. I didn't cry on the way home. I ran like Carl Lewis, 1984 Olympic champion. But um, I was so quick, I got home. But once I saw her, I melted. Why? Because my owie, or my boo-boo, if you'd like to call it, um, it, it hurt, but getting to her was the fix. I knew that if I could get to her, I would be okay. You know, when did we stop doing that? When as adults did we stop running home? When did we stop thinking it was, it was good to run to someone for care? I think to myself, like, there are some of us who emotionally look like our arms been in a chipper. And people are like, oh, are you okay? I'm fine. Right? Kind of like the Black Knight in, um, in, in Monty Python's movie when he gets his arm lopped off and he holds his sword and he goes, you know, the king thinks he's beaten him and he's like, and he kicks the king with, or he hits the king and kicks him and, and he's like, you know, keep fighting me. He's like, I chopped your arm off. He goes, it's just a flesh wound. That's how I feel sometimes. As Christians, we walk around, you know, having had our arms lopped off, and we're like, no, I'm totally fine with it. Emotionally speaking, we have these things that have happened that have damaged us and broken us, and we walk around saying, I'm fine. And it's a lie. And it's a lie, and we need to recognize that it's okay to run home. It's okay to invite Jesus to come and see I want you to join me today. I want you to join me in a little town just north of the Dead Sea in Israel. And it's a little northeast, so just to the east of this town is the Jordan River. Just to the south, kind of east, is the Dead Sea. And there's a little boy, and he's aimlessly playing in the dirt or something with a stick. And he's just kind of being a little boy, right? He's, he's not doing too, anything too serious and uh, just meandering around. And out of the neighbor's house comes a lady, and she is somewhere between frantic but highly focused. And she comes up to the little boy and gets down in front of him and whispers something to him. And then her last words that you catch are, now go. 
And as the heat vapors rise up off the earth into the atmosphere, the little boy goes, okay, okay. And foot little, uh, his little bare feet and his robe that he's kind of outgrown that's up to his knees now, all of a sudden you see those little bare feet start churning and he's pitter-patting through the roads of this little village. He gets out onto the well-worn path that runs alongside the Jordan River and he's just running right along. And you're following along, watching this little boy in the heat of the day, thinking, how long can he go like this? And where is he going? What's his message? What's happening? And he just keeps going. The back of his hair, the back of his head, it starts getting slick and shiny from the sweat running down and sticking his hair to it. But he keeps going. Finally, he stops at the river. He takes a drink, kind of washes his face off, shakes it off, and runs again. Little flecks of dust kicking up off this pathway as he runs. He gets to a village. After mile like 18 or 19, he can see a village. He's been running for over two hours, just booking along, trying to get somewhere. And you're thinking, how long can this little guy do it? And he gets to this village, and now his head's kind of like craning up. He's trying to see around him the, the people in the village, see if he's looking for someone. But you don't know who, and he's looking and craning around. Finally, he kind of stops and locks on, and there's a teacher talking to a crowd of people, and he doubles his pace. He shoots off like a little bolt of lightning and he gets up to the crowd and instead of standing in the back and waiting his turn, he cuts through the adults and wiggles through. He goes right up to the teacher's side and he says, Jesus, the one whom you love is sick. What a moment. What a moment for that little boy who has made at least this 20 mile journey and he, his whole focus, you know he had thought about what will Jesus say? What will he do? How will we help this one who is sick? And instead he sees Jesus take a deep breath. And then Jesus, in John chapter 11, replies. And it says, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. So when he heard Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Oh, wonder what that little boy thought. Like, oh, okay. Well, I super ran fast, but I guess we can stay two days, right? I mean, imagine what he thought. He probably thought Jesus is going to be like, okay, show me the way, and off they would go, and he would make the reverse track all the way back down to Bethany. But no, Jesus doesn't say that. It doesn't say that at all. It says the opposite. He loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus, and so he stayed where he was for two more days. For two more days, then he would take the 20-mile-by-foot journey two days after that to get back to Bethany. And we can look at this and say, he stayed where he was for another two days. Why? Why would he do such a thing? It doesn't seem kind, and it makes, it, it makes you kind of uncomfortable when someone says, the one that you love is sick. You don't finish your stay somewhere. You get in a hurry to go to them. But it says Jesus stays. And it literally in the scripture says that because he loved them, he waited. 
He loved them, so he waited. And for us, that may be uncomfortable, but if we rewind our own tape right now and we go back into what we remember of the wait series that we did back during, um, I think it was April. I don't even remember anymore. It was during the pandemic. Um, But back in last spring when we did the wait series, and we would talk about the fact that just because God makes you wait is not a sign of his disapproval, his lack of love, or that he's angry at you. Having to wait is one of the benchmarks of some of the great patriarchs and matriarchs in our faith. Remember that series. Waiting does not mean that God or Jesus doesn't love you. Sometimes, as we see in this story, Waiting means he loves you. Because he loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, he stayed two more days. He waited. So it tells me that our personal prayer requests at times, when we're praying personal prayers and laying them out before God, there are many times, quite often, where we say something and we ask God for something, and I think I'm very guilty of this, and I tell God how I want him to fix it. Here's my prayer, but by the way, I included a solution for your use. By all means, do it my way, right? I do that quite often. We seem to make guidelines for God and how our prayers should be answered. And we tell him quite often how um, we would like him to come and see and handle things according to our terms and our perspective. We look at God quite often and we have the answer we want. We have the immediacy we demand. We have these things, but there are times where we have to wait. And when we look at our personal prayer request, I think you, like me, would say, I'm guilty of saying, God, here's my prayer and here's my preferred answer to it. Could you just do it my way? And, you know, let's just trust me on this one. That's pretty normal. But there's a different pivot in this that says in the waiting, there's a different goal that kind of, I think, floats to the surface. And the different goal is this, that God's son, Jesus Christ, might be glorified in it. Imagine with me what Jesus was thinking, being so far away from his friend who was dying and feeling compelled by the Spirit of God to remain two days longer. We know Jesus loved them. Imagine for him knowing that they were hurting emotionally. They were scared. They were overwhelmed. And thinking all the time, it's going to be okay. I know it's painful now. I know it hurts. I know you're going to feel rejected and probably forgotten and angry. But my Father in heaven is going to use this for my glory and in the end, in retrospect, for your purpose in life. So let's go back in the story and let's look real quick at what's gone on. Over those two days, Lazarus indeed does die. He dies. And Jesus is not there with him. He does not heal him. And there is great heartache back home. And Jesus says to his disciples, we are going to go now for Lazarus has fallen asleep. And uh, it was funny, we were doing devotions with our youngest, Ethan, the other day, and, um, and he laughed, he said, because, you know, Jesus says Lazarus has fallen asleep, and they're like, well, that's good, if he's sick, he needs rest, and Ethan said, so he had to dumb it down for him, because then Jesus replies, no, he's dead. They're like, oh, 
You know, oh my goodness. And uh, so there's this moment where Jesus says, no, he's dead and we're going back. It seems like we're, you know, trying to unspill the milk, so to speak, but Jesus heads back to Bethany. And we pick up the story as Jesus is getting into the outskirts of this village known as Bethany. Verse 20 through uh, 36 in chapter 11 of John. When Martha heard Jesus was coming, she went out to meet with him, but Mary, her sister, stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And she said, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and I am the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and the one who lives by believing me, will never, do, will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After, this, after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher, Jesus, is here, she said, and he's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus, who had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him, when the Jews had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out. They followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to grieve. And when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said the words her sister Martha had said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. And then Jesus said, and then the Jews said of Jesus, see how he loved, them, how he loved him. See how he, Jesus, loved Lazarus. He wept. And I think that's important because here we have Mary's heartbroken mourning for her brother and Martha lets Jesus know that it was not only, you know, it's not only that he got sick and died, it's that Jesus didn't come. He didn't come there to save him. He wasn't there. And when Jesus asks for Mary, she comes rushing out and echoes those words. Had you been here, my brother wouldn't have died. She does not choose the right words. And here's the thing. If you've ever been around grief, the right words don't come flowing out. What happens is more often what we see from Mary and from Martha. It kind of blurts out of people. They say something that may sound cold or mean or harsh or accusatory, but it's out of their grief that they speak, out of the soul, out of their heart and soul, they say something, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. There's just a raw hanging balance in the air. And I think if we can just take a minute and be honest, how often have we thought that way? Lord, you missed something. Lord, if you'd only stopped this from happening. But remember, when we talk about this, we got to go back to last week. When we talk about God being sovereign over the macro, the big things, the rising of the sun, the universal laws that go on around us, the macro God is in charge of and sovereign over, but God is also in charge and chooses to invest himself in the intimate details of our living. 
Deep down, you and I know that there is nothing that passes through his hands without his knowledge. God is aware of it. But Jesus, and I love this, this is part of the tenderness of God. He's not offended by the sentiment of Martha and Mary. He's not offended that they're being so blunt. He's not like, how could you ever doubt me? I'm the sovereign creator and Lord of the universe. He doesn't say that to them. He doesn't accuse them of doing anything wrong. He lets them vent their pain and their hurt. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved and his spirit was troubled. Here's the thing. Jesus already knew he was going to raise Lazarus. Jesus knew the end of this story, yet he was not indifferent to the present suffering of someone he loves. For somebody who just heard that, that is a word of God for you. God knows the end, but he still grieves with you, knowing that your pain matters, and he hurts with you. He chooses that kind of pain over the kind of detached uh, apathy. He chooses to care. He was deeply moved when he saw Mary grieving for her brother. He was, his spirit was troubled when he saw how the Jews were grieving for the death of Lazarus. He was a human who had this, this emotion. He wept. He openly wept over this. He cares. He loved them. Their heartache was his heartache. He owned it with them. When he asks for a closer look, when Jesus says, where have you laid him? The answer kind of flicks a light bulb on for you and I. Come and see, they said. Come and see the tomb, the place of finality, the place where hope stops. How often have we allowed there to be junk in our lives when we have pain or when we have discomfort and we hide them in our lives? I think that question of Jesus should echo to you and I. Where have you laid those things? Come and see. Come and see. And Jesus goes. Well, he goes to those places. And here's the reality. Deep down, you and I don't want Jesus to see us struggling. We don't want him to know our marriage is falling apart, that addiction has resurfaced. Or those little habits we maybe say aren't an addiction that are slowly getting a hold on us again, that we're just kind of tucking away in the corners of our life and hiding in the tombs that we have, that, you know, that, that, that's no big deal. We don't want Jesus to see that. And yet, Mary gives you and I an example of the courageous, vulnerable, honest response we must have. Come and see. Come and see the place where I feel most disappointed in you, Jesus, because my brother is there, and it's because you weren't here. Now, she didn't just say that, but the implication hangs in the air like the static during a thunderstorm. You can just feel it in there. There's emotion. It's raw. So what I want to do is take the boldness, the vulnerability, and the heartache of Mary and take three steps, three places where you and I can uh, maybe identify with this. Number one, inviting Jesus to come and see. 
inviting him in. Remember when I talked about how you would come home with your hurts, your alleys and your boo-boos to your mom, and you'd be like, look what happened. And you'd be like, oh, look, and you'd hope she would heal it. When we come home to Christ with our hopes dashed and our hurts just ravaging us emotionally. We can run to him like we did our mom and we can fall apart and just be vulnerable and open and and free of carrying the facade, we can fall into his arms. Our hurts are not too heavy for him to bear and here's the thing, we should invite him into it. There's a difference between inviting someone and someone just walking in. If you just walk into my house, my first thought is gonna be, what do I have to do to defend myself against you? Because you walked in without an invitation and you walked in and I don't understand why there's no boundaries there, right? But if I invite you in, Most likely, I'm going to have something prepared for you to eat or drink or something to talk about. I'm going to have a purpose in that. There's a difference between having the door opened and inviting you in versus just walking in. We often expect Jesus just to waltz in, but he comes at our invitation. Come and see. Come and see my hurts. Lord Jesus, you know I'm in pain. Come and see. And inviting him into our lives to come in and experience where we're at and knowing like he was with them, his spirit will be like troubled. His heartache will increase because he's with us. He cares for us. He already knows. It's not like Jesus will be shocked at your hurts. He knows. He wants to hurt with you. He wants to walk with you in the depth of that pain and relationship. Invite him to come and see that which hurts so bad. Run to him like you did your mom when you were little, and show him the boo-boos. Show him what hurts and let him heal what is wrong. The second thing is this. There's the inviting of Jesus in, but there's also inviting others to come and see and allow yourself to be that for other people. Let people come and see the wounds and the hurts in your life that have literally transformed you. If you have hurts and wounds, you know you live differently after certain traumas, like a certain leg injury, you'll walk differently forever. Emotionally, we live differently. We have an emotional limp sometimes because of the traumas we've gone through. I invite you to invite others to come and see and allow yourself to be a safe place for other people. Tell people how you let Jesus come in to your life. Share your testimony of how Jesus Christ came into your life and healed what was so broken and cared for you and hurt with you. Remember the reaction of the people who saw Jesus, when his heart was troubled and his emotions were heavy and he wept and the words of the Jews were, see how much he loved him. That is a beautiful thing. If you share Jesus, in, if you share with people how Jesus has loved you, I believe that they will long for that kind of love. For some reason, we in shame cover ourselves up and hide, and in Jesus Christ, we don't have to. If we open up and show, this is my woundedness, and this is where Jesus met me and loved me, people will long to be met in their brokenness. They will long to be accepted and loved and healed and cared for and grieved with. They will get that in Jesus. They will long for that kind of connection if we will open ourselves up to be that 
for others by inviting them to come and see the way Jesus loved us and healed us through some of the deep wounds we have in this life. And the third thing, do you remember that this story started with a dead man? Like a, a panicked little boy running to say, hey, the one you love is sick. Would you like to hear the rest of the story? It's a really cool story. The story goes like this. Jesus gets to the tomb and he says, roll the stone away. Now, I can't remember if it's Mary or Martha, but one of the sisters says, oh, Lord, no, no, no. Um, he's been in there four days. It'll smell. Like, just don't you love the humanity in that? She doesn't want to embarrass her brother in front of all these people. It just, it just the, the heart-rending, like, no, you know what happens when they die. It's gonna smell. Please don't open the tomb. And Jesus, knowing that reality, has a greater vision than her immediate concern for her brother's, you know, maybe shame in, in what it would smell like. And I love this because Jesus has them roll away the tomb or the stone to the tomb. And then he says into the inky blackness of that tomb, Lazarus, come forth. And he would have been wrapped in, in burial clothes, and so he would have had to shuffle kind of like this to get to the door. And he shows up at the door. He shuffles to the door. And Jesus says to the Jews who are now standing there, very much open-mouthed in my opinion, like, oh, that just happened. Like Jesus says to them, unbind him and let him go. And they go and they unbind him. They take off the burial clothes and they turn him loose. I love that story. I love those final words of Jesus. Unbind him and let him go. So what dead things in your life do you know need the voice of Jesus to say, come forth, to come forth? What areas have died in your life that need resurrection? What areas are there for you that need that voice? And I would invite you to invite Jesus to come and see. He is the Savior who called into the darkness of the tomb. Come forth. Come forth. Come out of there. But not only that, he didn't just raise Lazarus. He did something because he alone is the one who can raise it to new life. But he did something that only he could do raised him to life. Then he invited the community to do what they could do, unbind him and let him go. That's why we push groups at this church. It's why we want you in groups. It's the people who get to experience life with you more intimately and closely, and they get to be the ones, when Jesus does a restorative work in your life, they get to be the ones who run up and unbind you and let you go into the purpose and, and reason for your existence in this life. They're the ones who unbind you and let you go at the command of Christ. It's community. It's this interwoven closeness between Christ and the church. I invite you to, to be generous and invite Jesus to come and see, even though you may have hidden it. Maybe you've got hurts that you're ashamed of or sorry about or just feel broken from. Don't ever forget, this story was told at a tomb until Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And then the people around unbound him and turned him loose on the world. Praise God for stories like that, that we don't live 
by the, by the natural law of things. We live by the supernatural healing of Jesus Christ for the glory of his name in this world and the revelation of who our Heavenly Father is, infinitely loving, sympathetic, and caring, even of our needs. As he holds this universe in balance, he also holds our hearts in his hands, and he cares about what you're walking through. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, thank you for who you are. For a story that, God, I pray would unbind the hearts of those who are afraid in our church and let them go. Let them go from the bondage of the past. Let them open up the hurts, the heartaches, the sense of shame and loss and just open up and experience the tenderness of you, Lord Jesus Christ, who wept. Even though you knew you would heal things, you wept because you knew how much it hurt. Thank you that we can trust you, that you weep for us. Lord, I pray that you would help us learn to grieve with those who grieve, weep with those who weep, so that we as the church would display that all-encompassing love that you had for your friend, Lazarus, and his sisters. Come, Lord Jesus. Help us be a community that loves like that so that people would long to connect with you who loves them so much. In Jesus' name, amen. What I love about this series is that we are allowed, actually we're invited to, uh, to just lay it down and walk back from all that, that tells us we have to hide our hurts and our heartaches and that we can't just say, come and see. So in this, in this time, I hope for you there is a measure of freedom in being allowed to say to the Lord Jesus Christ, to say to his church, come and see. There's a lot of hurts, but in saying come and see, it's actually a living confession of faith that he's going to do something wonderful. Even with the heartache, he's going to do something wonderful, even with the things that hurt you. And in this hope, we as a church gather and hold tight and commit to one another to care for each other in our hurts and our burdens so that the world will see that kind of love. And they will long for it. Jesus said it this way. They will know you are my followers, you are Christians, by your love for one another. Church, love each other well as we hold on to the hurts and burdens we all carry. Grace and peace to you. And as you go, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Have a good week, friends.